This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Man, that is a wonderful old song. So uh, last week, we began our, our walk through Ephesians, which we're calling Becoming Who We Are. We, we are new creations in Christ. That is our position. That's our identity in Christ. And the Christian life is about becoming more and more in our practice who we already are in our position. In, in Christ. That's what Ephesians is, is all about. Um, and so today we're looking at verses uh, 9 through 14 of chapter 1, and we're looking at some signs of a present and future glory. What we, what we see in this text is we, we see some just beautiful images, images of the Holy Spirit, uh, who the Holy Spirit uh, is for us, God's plan, his big picture plan for the, the fullness of time and how that all plays out and how that impacts our lives right now in the meantime. I love this text. It is so incredibly rich. So let's look this morning at Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to look at verses 9 through 14. Signs of present and future glory. Follow along with me in your copy of God's Word. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. In him we have also received an inheritance, because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will, so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. In him, you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this incredibly rich text that is loaded with diamonds and jewels that, that we, we need to grab a hold of. And and so, Lord, as someone once said, when you rake, all you get is leaves, but when you dig, you get diamonds. Lord, help us to dig this morning uh, deeply into your word and just see and the, the riches really that are, that are already ours in Christ that we just need to a- appropriate and put into practice in, in, our, in our living. And so, Lord, would you... By the power of your spirit now, open the eyes of our hearts just to behold wonders and glory in your word today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So for most of us, um, we, we'd have a hard time driving these days without GPS 
technology and we almost take it for granted now I mean a lot of us have got it mounted on our dashboard or we've got smartphones that are propped up with Apple Maps and Google Maps and Waze and you know all kinds of things that kind of tell us exactly where we need to go and, it, and it's super helpful um, but I remember back in the early days of, of GPS technology when it was still in its infancy and I had like a, a, a Garmin kind of mounted up on my uh, on my on my my window with the suction cup on it you know and sometimes the suction cup would give way and that thing would come crashing down you know and and uh, but I remember that that in the early days of, of the GPS a lot of times that the satellites were not really we're not really matching the reality on the ground. <laughs> and so you'd be riding along and the voice would be telling you frantically, turn here. Well, well here was like a ditch, you know, or a field or a railroad track. And in and, 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 and one case with me, I did not, did not make that turn. Look, look before I, I turned, fortunately. And that's the thing. Like a lot of times you would just be like, I'm turning this thing off. And I'm just going to go back to old school and I'm going to bring out the map. <laughs> and I'm going to look at the actual signs that are like right there in front of me. Well, God's word, the Bible is like a great map. And this particular text is telling us about some signs that we need to look at. And they're signs that not only deal with our future, but really they are brought forward into our present. They can impact our lives right now. Signs of present and future glory. But the first thing that we start out with is the map. And that's God's overall plan, which we see in verses nine and 10. So let's check out the plan. We, we touched on these two verses last week, but they're so key to Ephesians and to the Bible as a whole that I wanna camp out on them more this week. Verses nine and 10. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. History is moving somewhere. History is going somewhere. And this is where it's going. This is the map. This is the plan. Christ will return in victory, literally, bodily, victoriously, and all things will be made new. He will reign as King of kings and Lord of lords, and everything, everything in heaven and, and on earth will be, he says here, brought together in him summed up in him all of the, the 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 fragmented parts of this universe that are alienated from god because of sin all of the, that fragmentation is going to be brought together everything is going to be made new everything wrong will be made right everything broken will be made whole everything sad will come untrue jesus is coming again in victory there's going to be a new heaven and earth. And if you are in Christ, you're going to be there. You are going to be there with a glorified body. 
You're going to be raised with a body that will no longer be subject to, to, to sin or to aging or to disease or to death. You will be there as a part of that new heaven and, and, and earth. And so everything merges. When you think about the new heaven and earth, right? And when he says here that, that, every, that, that, that everything, in verse, in verse 10, to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. So if you think about heaven as, as God's space, right? Think about a circle and think about you know, heaven in one, in one circle, God's space, right? You think about earth in another circle, that's our space, but on that day, the two spaces merge. Everything is brought together in Christ. Paradise was lost in Adam, and it will be regained in Christ. Now, we pray for this every time we pray the Lord's Prayer. What do we, what do we, what's one of the things that we pray? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we're working toward that now. We're seeking through our lives, through the, the mission of God that we just heard about earlier in our service, right? We're seeking for that to be more and more reality now, but ultimately it's going to be totally realized, right? Because heaven and earth will be one, right? Everything brought together in Christ. Now that's the plan. That's where things are, 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 are moving. This is key to understand. All right, now we see a second image here, and this is a, a sign, and it's, and it's the inheritance, the inheritance that he talks about in verses 11 and 12. It says, in him, in Christ, again, this key phrase for Ephesians, in him, in Christ, in him, we have also received an inheritance. Now, in the Old Testament, the inheritance was the promised land, Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey. And we talked about last week the experience of the exodus that God's people had in the Old Testament. When they were redeemed, they were delivered from slavery, bondage in Egypt. God brought them out at the, at the exodus at Passover. So God redeemed them, liberated them, brought them out of bondage, out of slavery, and then what? They were on their way to the promised land, Canaan. Now we, as believers, have also had our own exodus experience. If you're in Christ, you have been redeemed. You have been liberated from an even greater slavery than slavery in Egypt and that slavery and bondage to sin and death. And so Christ has redeemed you. You've been brought out of bondage. You've been liberated, freed from slavery to sin and death. And now, as a believer, you are on your way to the promised land. The ultimate promised land. The promised land that we just talked about. A new world a new heaven and earth, right? That's your inheritance. 
That's where you're moving, right? And it's already, it's already yours. It's just waiting for you to take possession of it. So how should the knowledge of that change the way that we do life now? How should the knowledge that, you know, what a, Christ is gonna come and the whole world is gonna be flooded with his presence and his love and the knowledge of the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea and you're gonna be right there in it in a glorified body forever. How, how should understanding that that is your future change your present right now? What should change it? It should absolutely change everyday life. And when, if you understand that's who you are in Christ, Imagine that if, if, if you were a billionaire. <laughs> and uh, so you're a billionaire, and, uh, but you're over in Norfolk one day, and you, you stop by Dumars to get a barbecue. And so your, your bill is like, you know, $5 and change or something. And you look in your wallet, and you've got three tens in your wallet. And so you, you give your, your server... Uh, one of those tens to tell her to, to, to keep the change. Well, later in the day, you look in your wallet and there's only one ten that's there. And you're like, oh, what, what happened to that other, that other ten? Did I, did I, did I give an, uh, an, an extra one to my, uh, my server at the restaurant? Uh, did, 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 I, did I drop it on the ground or what? What, what are you going to do? You're going to shrug your shoulders. <laughs> You're a billionaire. <laughs> it's ten dollars. Are you gonna gonna go back to Norfolk to Dumars and seek out that waitress and is it, see it? Did I give you an extra? T- I hope you wouldn't do that, right? Um, are you gonna call the police? Are you gonna? I mean, n- no. You're gonna like you're gonna shrug your shoulders like, <laughs> yeah, it's ten dollars. Like you're far too rich to worry about a loss like that. What about this past week? Let's say somebody, somebody criticized you. Somebody said something that, that, uh, that hurt your feelings. And you stewed about that. And you just, it made you, it made fear, all kinds of fears arise in your heart about, oh, you know, what pe- how people think about, how people think about me and, you know, and, and all that. Or maybe, maybe at your job, somebody, uh, a colleague uh, kind of dropped the ball on a, on, a, on a project and it was kind of a, kind of a, a, a setback and it's got you know, it's got to be dealt with, but you know, you, you kind of, again, you taught, you tossed and, and turned and it kind of, kind of, kind of made you angry, you know, they didn't kind of hold up their, their end of things or, 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 or whatever, you know, okay, l- listen, listen, you can pass those things off as just, you know, hey, I, I you know what, I, I really need to work on my self-esteem I, I, because you know, I shouldn't, be, I shouldn't be so concerned about how people think about me and that kind of thing, and I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to live to please God and not other people and all that. I, I really need to work on, on, on my self-esteem. Or, you know, I really need to work on, I shouldn't let stuff like that get to me. I need to kind of work on my, on my anger and self-control and, and, and things like that. Okay, well, that's all true, everything I just said, but we need to go deeper. We need to go deeper than that. Because the real issue is that you don't understand who you are in Christ. You're you're a billionaire who is sweating the loss of a $10 bill. 
When we understand who we are in Christ and when we understand the, the inheritance that we have been truly given as children of God, then the little losses of this life, the, the things that keep us up and keep us tossing and turning at, at night, when we truly understand who we are in Christ, like 99% of that stuff is put in proper perspective, right? Those things are so insignificant, right? You, you are an heir. You are an heir of his glory, right? Your future is secure. It's amazing. Your, your present is, is secure. You, you're, you are in Christ to live as Christ and to die as gain. I mean, like, if we truly got that on a deep level, the things that, that just kind of get to us in this life would be put into perspective when we understand our inheritance, who we are, our identity in Christ. So that's, that's one sign or image here is the inheritance. Another is the seal, the seal. Let's look at verse 13. In him, again, in Christ, you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. So in the ancient world, in the first century world in which Paul is writing, the seal was like a, a, wax, a wax stamp that was affixed to uh, official documents. And, and it, the seal was a, a, a guarantee of authenticity. And Paul is saying that the, 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 the reality of the Holy Spirit and the life of the believer is like that. The Holy Spirit is a, is a, is a seal, it's a, it's a guarantee. It is a sign of authenticity that you truly belong to God. In the ancient world, a seal was a guarantee that the contents of the, of the, of the document were, were, were going to be brought to fruition. They were going to come true. The seal of the Holy Spirit, the reality of the Holy Spirit in your life is like the, the guarantee of authenticity that you truly belong to Christ and that the inheritance that, that he just talked about is going to come to reality in your, in your future. He puts it in another way in chapter 4 and verse 30. Turn to, uh, turn to chapter 4 and look at verse 30. He says there, and don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. The day of redemption that Paul is talking about there is the day when Christ returns, right? And you're raised in a glorified body. Now, he says until that day, he says the Spirit has sealed you. He has sealed you for that day. Because you are in Christ, you belong to him. And it hasn't, that day of redemption hasn't happened yet, but it's as certain that it, to happen as if it's already happened, right? It's that, it's a done deal. You're, you're, you're sealed in Christ, right? 
And so what he's saying here um, in, verse, in verse 13, he says, in him, in Christ, you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, and then he tells us when that happened. He says it was when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. When you believed in Christ, when you turned from your sins and trusted in Christ and received him into your life as your Savior and Lord and King, that day you were sealed by the Holy Spirit. We could not have become Christians apart from the Holy Spirit. The Bible says no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And so from the, from the moment that you came to know Christ, the third person of the Trinity has been in your life, the Holy Spirit. But the way that, that Paul talks about the Spirit here certainly leads me to believe that he, he's talking about something that was visible and obvious in the lives of these people. That the, the spirit was not just something abstract, not something theoretical. No, these people had experienced the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit operating in their midst, in their lives. And I don't think this is necessarily or mainly speaking in tongues or healing, healing miraculous uh, uh, gifts of healing or whatever. That was certainly the case uh, with some in, in the early church and, and, and I believe today. But, but, but those particular things are not magnified. Uh, as the, 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 the main manifestations of the Holy Spirit that, uh, that you have to have. I mean, I remember when I first became a believer early in my Christian life, you know, I kind of, I kind of felt like a second-class Christian because, uh, you know, those kinds of things, had, you know, hadn't happened in me. And I, like, wondered, yeah, you know, am I kind of missing out on the reality of the Spirit? But when you read the New Testament, um, I know in some circles, you know, those particular uh, gifts of the Spirit are really kind of held up and kind of put on a pedestal, but that's, that's not really what you see when you read the New Testament. But what you do see clearly <laughs> in the New Testament is that the power and the presence of the Spirit, this is real, and it's obvious, and it's visible. What was happening in the lives of these believers in Ephesus? There was a fire for God. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes in fire. And when, the, the, when you're filled with the Spirit, there's a fire for God. There's a passion for God. There is a hunger and a thirst for more of God. You want, it, you want more of his word. You want to dig into the Bible. You want to learn more about who God is and his ways. There's a passion for worship. There's a passion to be with God's people. 
There's a, there's a desire to serve God and make a difference with your life for, for the glory of God. There's a boldness for God in witnessing. There, there's a boldness to, to, to open up your mouth and, and tell your friends and family and, and people that you work with and people that you go to school with, right? It, it, it comes pouring out. You're not hiding who you are when you're filled with the Spirit. There, there's, a, there's, a, there's a boldness in sharing your faith and there's a courage to endure persecution. I think about what was happening in Ephesus with these early believers. You know, in, in first century Ephesus, they were surrounded by idolatry. Temples, huge temples to idols dominating the cityscape of Ephesus. And when these people turn from idols to serve the living God, everybody knew it. There was no such thing as becoming a Christian and being private about it. Everybody immediately knew it because you weren't worshiping idols anymore and your life was like radically changing and they experienced persecution as a result of that. But because of the power of the Spirit, they were not only willing to suffer for Christ, but they were bold in telling others what had happened to them. There was a radical change in their character. Their orientation was shifting from themselves to others, to God, to loving others, loving God, and they were bearing the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness. Their character was, was, was changing being transformed. I mean, it was obvious, right? It was obvious that instead of living life for themselves, when you read about the early church, like they were, they were giving of their resources, like nobody was in, in, in need because they were, they were laying down their lives, laying down their resources for their brothers and sisters and for others compassionately in their communities. We heard about uh, earlier in the, in the service, there, was, there were ton, there's tons of compassion going on in the community for those who were, were not in Christ. I mean, this was a Christian counterculture. Lives radically transformed by the Holy Spirit. Martin Lloyd-Jones is one of my preaching heroes and one of the greatest preachers in the 20th century for sure. And um, Lloyd-Jones pastored Westminster Chapel in London, which was steps, steps away from the Houses of Parliament right down in the Westminster area of London. And it was a very kind of, uh, it, was, <laughs> it, was, it was a very kind of, you know, buttoned up <laughs> type of, of, of congregation and everything. And, and you know, cer certainly wasn't, uh, Lloyd-Jones did not come from a uh, charismatic background. That church was, was not that or whatever. But, but, but Lloyd-Jones really saw in these texts about the Holy Spirit that, you know, this is something that the, the Holy, when the Holy Spirit is at work in the lives of people or in a church, I mean, it's, it's obvious, right? It, it, it's, it's, there's powerful things are happening. And one day he was preaching 
um, at Westminster Chapel, and he asked his congregation a question. He said, have you experienced the fullness of the Spirit? Have you experienced the fullness of the Spirit? I know all of you would want to say to my question about the Holy Spirit, well, I got it at conversion. There's no need for any more experience. Well, said Martin Lloyd-Jones, I have another question for you. If you got it all at conversion, where in God's name is it? (laughs) Now, what he meant by that, he did not mean that they did not have the Holy Spirit. He knew, like, we can't become Christians without the Holy Spirit, right? There's no becoming a believer apart from the Holy Spirit. Um, But when we think about the fullness of the Spirit, what we're going to see in chapter 5 and verse 18 of Ephesians, when, when Paul says, be filled with the Spirit, the tense there of that verb means that it's not just talking about a one-time thing. Being filled with the Spirit is something that is to continually happen throughout our Christian lives. We should pray for fresh fillings of the Holy Spirit in our lives, brothers and sisters. Pray for that. You were not meant to live the Christian life in your own power, but to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we should pray for fresh fillings of the Spirit in in our lives in, in, in Christ. The seal. Fourth, the down payment. The down payment is the next image that we see here, and we see it in verse 14. He says the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. So here we see another sign. The Holy Spirit is like a down payment. When you make a down payment on a house, it secures your position as buyer. The details and the rest of the payment can be worked out later on, but the the, the down payment is like a deposit that, that guarantees the rest is coming. And he says that the Holy Spirit is like that in our lives. The presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives guarantees it is, a, it is a, a, a down payment. It is like a deposit. It's like the first fruits, which is another image that we see in Scripture for the Spirit. The first fruits were the first part of the harvest to come in, and the first fruits were the guarantee that the remainder of the harvest was coming. And, and, and Paul says the spirit is like that. The spirit is the, 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 the first fruits, uses that image in Romans 8. And so when we taste of the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the spirit in our lives, it's like a foretaste. It's like the first taste and the foretaste of what is coming in the future when we take possession of our inheritance in a new heaven and earth. Now listen, you gotta taste that. You've gotta taste that. 
I, no one can do this for you. I cannot, I, I cannot stand here and describe to you, if you've never tasted honey, I can't, I can't convey to you in words what honey tastes like. What I can invite you to do is to taste and see, which is what scripture invites us to do. Psalm 34 and verse eight, taste and see that the Lord is good. Friend, you've got to taste this, right? You've, you've, got, to, you've got to taste it for yourself. You've got to taste and, and see that the Lord is good. God invites you to, to take and eat. That invitation is there. The work has been done. There's a Savior who died for you. Who, who, who lived the perfect life that you could never live and, and died the death that you deserve to die for you in your place. He's coming again as King of kings and Lord of lords to reign forever and you can be there with him. But you've gotta be in Christ. In Christ. Are you in Christ? Are you ready for that day? We don't know what day, what, when, uh, day Christ is coming. We don't know when we're gonna die. No one's promised tomorrow. Turn to the Lord today. Taste and see that the Lord is good. To Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead. I believe that death has been defeated and I want you as my king. And I'm turning from living my own way apart from you and right now I'm turning to you and I'm laying it all down, and I'm taking my hands off the controls, and I'm turning to you. Be my savior, be my king, come into my life and take control. Is that the desire of your heart? God will welcome you. He welcomes you. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Father, we thank you for the incredible invitation that is there in the gospel. Lord, you invite us to come. We thank you that the work has been done, that you receive us just by grace. And Lord, I pray for anyone who's in this room or anyone who's in my hearing by way of video that does not know Jesus, that Lord, right now, by the power of your spirit, that you would open their hearts to respond to the gospel. May they respond to this good news in repentance and faith and know you. To know you is to know life, life abundant and life everlasting. Father, I pray for believers who are here in this room and, and, and in my hearing as they watch. Father, I pray that the, that the reality of the spirit, that life in the spirit would not be some theory or some abstraction, but, but Lord, that, that you would fill believers more and more with your spirit that we would more and more bear the fruit of the spirit and that our lives would be characterized by increasing fire for you and energy for you and thirst for you as you mold us and transform us more and more into the image of your son and to his name that we pray 
I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. 